things that we thought was impossible. Some of you remember the, in the newspaper, all of the funny papers and what happened to Dick Tracy. He was the detective and he's talking into his watch. I mean, people back then thought how funny that was to think that somebody could actually carry on a conversation with their watch. Now you, you can do that and even much more. We think about how that we've been able to cure a lot of diseases. Diseases that at one time was a death sentence. And now through technology and the help of God, we've been able to eradicate those diseases. We, uh, we reached the place where there's a TV in every home and I can never get that sight out of my mind when I saw my first TV. That, that box with a window in it and all of a sudden you, you see people, hear people. It just did not seem possible. Uh, and uh, now they're everywhere. We think about what man has done, the microchips, all the devices to, to access the internet, put a man on the moon, put stuff, uh, objects on Mars and all, all of that. And uh, there's still one thing really important that we've not learned, and that's how to live together. We just, for whatever reason, have not learned how to live together. You could say, and you would be accurate in saying, that the history of this world can be recorded by the wars. And it all goes back to when sin entered into this world. And man has been battling with one another ever since because of his selfish, sinful nature. And um, that's history. That's what you can expect from a world that is without Christ, a world that doesn't have any respect or any regard for the God that created them, a world that worships the creature more than the Creator. That's what you can expect. Bitterness, strife, hatred, one for another, fighting. But as Christians, we have absolutely no excuse for our behavior whatsoever because the moment that we're saved, the Spirit of God gives us a new nature. And God makes it perfectly clear here in His Word that He expects something better from us. He not only expects it, He enables us to live a life that is different, a life that is better. And yet we look around and, and we see that for the most part, churches are in worse condition than they have been since the day that I got saved. Far worse condition than they were, uh, uh, let's say, a hundred years ago. We don't, we don't want to admit it, but when you really measure the average church today by the standard of God's Word, the fact is that many churches are in a state that they are beyond any hope of returning to the old paths. They'll, they'll never go back. Some have drifted so far away that they no longer qualify for being a true church. 
they have forsaken the faith and oh they can put you know church along with their name out there on a sign somewhere but that doesn't make it a church let me tell you when the spirit of god moves out of a congregation it's nothing more than a social club it's gone it's dead it's worthless and yet today there are churches that are revered by the unknowing public as wow they are really something yeah as you've heard me say so many times before they turn worship into entertainment today and people love it they eat it up they can join there they don't have to do anything go in and sit down and watch the show and that's kind of where where it is with a lot of churches today the good news is there are those churches that have a desire for revival and by the way, let me tell you, even the very best churches need to be reminded of things they know already. And the Bible makes that clear over and over again. Things that we already know, even things that we are putting into practice, there are things that deep down in our heart, if we're honest, we know we ought to do better than that. Let me tell you, prevention is easier than cure because Every church is just one generation away from being one of those churches I talked about. Either beyond the point of no return or disqualified for even being a church. Ordinarily, when I preached this series on one another, which has been several years ago, I did so on, on a Sunday night. And it seems more appropriate for a Sunday evening service, one another, because we think, you know, on Sunday morning we want to be more evangelistic and, uh, and uh, not deal with these issues that relate to the church. But if you've ever read Ephesians chapter number 4, by the way, I have, and I know what the, I know what the job, the work of a pastor is, and it's for the edification of the saints. And one of the things today that we've lost sight of, we think all of our evangelistic effort ought to be on Sunday morning when the church assembles. By the way, throughout history, the churches put the emphasis upon during the time of the assembly was what? For the edification, the building up of the saints. What for? So they would do the work of evangelism out there what did he say in the book of Acts? Every day out there in the streets of the city, spreading the word of God. Look, it's not just the pastor and the deacon and the Sunday school teachers. and those, It's not just their responsibility to try to win others to Christ. It's a responsibility that we all have as the children of God. And I want us to think for the next few weeks about this matter of one another. We shouldn't expect uh, anything different from the world because of the fact that uh, they know nothing about Christ. They do not have God as their Father. Heaven is their home. The Bible is their guide. They, they don't know anything about that. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us, however, that God provided everything we need to be successful. His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. 
And when it comes to how that we relate one to another, the Bible gives us the clearest instructions imaginable. And as we look through the epistles here in the New Testament, we find that phrase, one another, used about 40 different times. Now, if that phrase is used that many times, you know that it's something that is extremely important. Uh, have you ever wondered, why did Christ start the church? Why, why, why couldn't we just, you know, be Lone Ranger Christians? Just, you know, get saved and go tell somebody else about it and maybe they'll get saved. But, but why is it that he established the church? Uh, it's because he doesn't deal with us just on an individual basis it's simply because of the fact that we need one another. And here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul refers to the church more than 30 times using the word body. The word body, that's the Greek word soma. It means that which, that, that which is real, tangible, real, as opposed to that which is uh, a mere shadow. So we're talking about something that is genuine, something that is real, something that exists. The church is likened unto a body. It is a visible assembly. You've heard people talk about the visible church and the invisible church. Let me tell you, they're mistaken. They mistake the family of God for the church. The church is not something that is invisible. If you think it's an invisible church with an invisible pastor, next time you're sick and in the hospital, instead of calling Brother Preston, call your invisible pastor. See where that gets you. The church is something that is real. It's visible. And that's why over and over again, he uses that word soma, that word body. It is a body. It is real. It exists. But he explains that the body is made up of different parts. Thank God for that. I knew that Rick and Lisa was out of town uh, yesterday on some on vacation, and uh, Kathy blew out her knee, and uh, so I, I got to thinking, well, they're out of town. She blew out her knee, and uh, uh, Lisa's not able to be here. And and finally, Bev reminded me, well, Jennifer's still still around. She can play and. But, but at the moment, I thought, you know, uh, what if we didn't have anyone to play the piano? I sure couldn't do it. Where, where would we be if we all, if we all uh, had just exactly the same talent? I've often illustrated that by saying, you know, we all assemble, you know, however many there are. And so we come in and we have maybe a word of prayer. Then each one gets up. All we can do is you play the piano. It's the only talent you have. So you go by and play a little ditty on the piano and walk out the other side and next one up. It wouldn't work very good, would it? I, I'm glad that God has given each and every one of us different gifts and He makes that clear. He said, what if the whole body was an eye? Where would the hearing be? And God hath set some in the body, He said, as it pleased Him. I, I love that phrase, God set them in the body. Too many times in this, in this outrageous desire that we have, that we think that if we're not growing, we're not going, 
and we think we've got to add members to the church, get them any way we can. We'll have Bobo the Clown, Zulu the Gorilla. We'll have all of these great big... Yeah, that, listen, that happened back in the day whenever I remember when it started. About, 19, about 1965, 66. That's when all of this big church promotion idea started. We've got to get them in here. Do anything. Get them in there. Whoa, they said, well, we want to get them in so they can hear the gospel. Well, that sounds well and good until you turn it into a three-ring circus. And the pastor says, I'll be preaching from the rooftop next Sunday. I want you all to come and hear. Or I'll come scooting through the auditorium on a motorcycle. I want you to come and see me do a wheelie. That stuff really happened. That's the mentality of a lot of folks about the Lord's church. No, the Lord adds to the church. And when the Lord adds to the church, He doesn't make any, he doesn't make any mistakes. And there are times that, believe me when I say this, there are times that are, there are members added that the Lord did not add and it causes nothing but trouble. Oh, I know. We, look, we don't, all, we don't always know. I mean, all we can go on is a per, person's profession of faith and their testimony. We don't always know what we're getting. And when I say the Lord didn't add them, I realize that, you know, we voted, we added them to the church, but the Lord never led them here. It wasn't of God that they joined. And that's why, look, every person ought to be a member of a good Bible-believing church. And if it's not this one, and you're a guest here today, please, and, and you know this isn't the place, please, please go somewhere next week. And, and find the church where God would have you to be and get involved in it. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. The first thing is that we have to discern our need of the body of Christ, our need of the church. Because a lot of folks don't. They don't see any need. Especially nowadays, I'll just turn the TV on and I'll just worship God at home. I remember uh, people down south, you know, where I did so much preaching and sitting in a hospital room one day in a waiting room and they talking about their various favorite quartets and what have you. And so the one woman was very outspoken and wanted to carry the conversation. I asked her where she attended church. She said, oh, I don't. I said, really? She said, no. She said, the, the gospel music concerts, that, that's my church. That's where I worship God. Let me tell you, there's nothing that takes the place of the Lord's church, and we, we need to discern our need for the Lord's church. In the first place, we need it because we are designed by God as social creatures, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Thank God for that. Before I left this morning, we were talking about something. Uh, Angie and, and Bev were there, and uh, I won't go into the conversation. I, I'd get in trouble. But, but I did make the statement. 
yeah, I'm smarter than you think because uh, I married you. <laughs> something like that. I, that doesn't sound right, but it was something to that effect. And as I've always said, I said, and for good reason, because you brought balance to my life. If it wasn't for her, I'd be so out of balance. Thank God, you know, somebody says, me and my wife always agree on everything. You're either lying or you're in trouble. <laughs> One of two things. I've had more arguments with my wife. I love her more than anybody on this earth. I love her even more than my kids, and I love my kids and grandkids. I love her most, and I argue with her more than anybody. We don't always agree on everything, and that's okay. It's okay as long as we don't violate the standard of God's Word, you see. We need one another. If you don't, if you don't believe that, ask some kid that was raised in the ghetto or some kid from a broken home that never had a chance in this world. Wanting to belong. You might know someone like that. They're everywhere. They just want to feel like they belong. That, that, that's what gangs is all about, folks. They just want to belong. And they'll go to the extent of saying blood in, blood out, and they're willing to kill somebody in order to become a part of some group that supposedly will protect and care for them. We need one another. Secondly, we, we need to discern our need of the church because we are the servants of Christ. I, I mean, we need to think of ourselves as that way, shouldn't we? We're not only the children of God, but we are the, the servants of God. If the only concern God had about our salvation was saving us, He'd just grab us by the hair of the head the day we get saved and take us to heaven and we'd miss out on all this bad stuff. We'd be in heaven already. But there's a work to be done down here. And that's why He left His people in this wicked world that we live in today. That's why we have to put up with all of this stuff. God surely must love the world to allow His children to suffer, allow missionaries to go take the Word of God to people that hate them, people that will kill them in a heartbeat. Why would God do that for His own children? Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's why. And we need to never forget the fact that we're not just the sons of God, that we are the servants of Christ, and we need one another. Solomon said over in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need one another. We really do. Yesterday, I 
if you was here at the memorial service, I, God enabled me to stand with McCain throughout the message. And I, I was so thankful for that. And so at the end of the message, I uh, got McCain and started down. And as I have to do, I was walking uh, as I normally do. And usually Seth or Brother Kenneth or somebody, they're usually there. I don't, didn't ask them to do that. But they're usually there, so I go sidestepping down like that. And about the time I got down to the bottom there, somebody grabbed me by my left arm, and Richard Wilson, with a cane in his other hand, had me by my left arm. And I told Bev about it, and she said, I wish somebody had videoed that. Here's two old men, no, two old crippled men, Walking, I said, Brother Richard, I got it. You're, I said, you're liable to fall. Let go. No, I'm okay. No, no. We went arm in arm all the way out the door. <laughs> oh. And I thought, what a perfect illustration. You know, we're just all a bunch of cripples in one way or another. We really are. When I think about this church and the kind of church I want it to be, I... I, I, I hope and I pray that we'll always be the perfect church for imperfect people. The perfect church for imperfect people because we're all imperfect and we need one another. We discern our place in the body, but then we have to, or the importance of it, we have to discern what our place is, that what our work is, what our job is, our duty, our responsibility to God isn't it sad whenever you see someone that sees no real sense of purpose in life? They just don't seemingly know why they exist and shouldn't be that way because God's given us all of these different gifts. Some have speaking abilities. Oh, we've got some really gifted teachers here. And I am so thankful for that. we got some... Some young men here that are very gifted and God is already using them and he's going to use them in a greater way in the future and uh, I'm so thankful for that. Everybody ought to teach in a way in the communication of the truth, but everybody doesn't have the gift of teaching there. Everybody doesn't have the gift of preaching. It's not something you just decide one day, well, I think, I, I think I'd like to give that a hand, you know. And it's, uh, but believe me, I, I wasn't looking to be a preacher when I got saved. That was the farthest thing from my mind. Uh, I, you know, heard somebody say, if you can do anything other than, other than preach, go do it, because God didn't call you to preach. And that's about the way it gets. If you can do anything other than preach, you might as well do it because if God called you to preach, you're not going to have a minute of peace until you do. But it's not all about the preaching. I can't cook. Oh, I can boil an egg or fry an egg. I Thank God for those folks here prepare breakfast on Sunday mornings. For those that during a memorial service like yesterday, they're back there, they're back there working and cooking. Thank God for those that have a business mindset. If I if I've got to make some 
you know, choice about a business matter. I, I know I, there's about three or four of you right now that I can look at and say, I, I'd go, I'd ask them. Because they know about running businesses and stuff like that. Uh, my car breaks down. Hey, there was a time whenever I was young, you know, if you needed to tune up, you put in some plugs and points and condenser, boom, you're ready to go. I, I, even dumb as I was, I could do that. Don't ask me to tune up a car today. I don't know how it works. But I know some people that do. We've got, we've got people that are, that are gifted when it comes to working with children. And believe me, it takes a gift to work with them. Because as adorable as they are, when you're locked together with 10 or 15 of them in a room, that's a different story. And I'm simply saying to you, discover your place in the, in the body. If you're here today and you have the ability to sing, to play an instrument, see Brother David after the service. If God gave you that ability, it kind of bothers me that we don't have like uh, more uh, duets and trios and a, how about a men's quartet? If you're here today and you have a musical ability, you, it didn't just get there. You said, well, it come from Grandpa. He always was able to say, no, it come from God. You need to use your ability. We need to not only discover where our place is, but we need to do our part. You know, discovering what God would have you to do is one thing. Doing it is something that's altogether different. You know, there's uh, some folks are not willing to do anything unless they, unless they get some uh, some benefit from it. I've often used the the statement. You know, there are people that love to teach that do not love the people they teach. They, they yeah, they love that the teaching aspect of it, but they just don't love the people that they're teaching, and that doesn't work because the Bible tells us we're to speak the truth in love. And there are a lot of people that uh, enjoy doing certain, certain things in the church. But, but that's the only thing they're willing to do in the church. We need to be willing to use whatever gift God has given us to fit in wherever God puts us in the body. And whenever we find that niche, we need to learn to play our position. You know, if you know anything about football or baseball or any sports for that matter, one of the worst things that somebody can do is to not play their position. That is so crucial, and it's crucial in a church where, anyway, enough said. I remember Brother Turk, blessed his heart, years ago a woman came to the church. She was a visitor, been there the first time, and uh, introduced herself and said, uh, God, uh, God laid it on my heart and told me to come and uh, tell you that he's led me here to be the pianist. And Brother Turk was kind of shocked for a moment, and he said, well... He said, that's funny because he hadn't said anything to me about it at all. You, you know, 
look, we can't all do everything, but we can all do something. And we need to because we all need each other. And because of that need for one another, that brings up another issue, and that's the need for harmony in the body. It's essential. Look at look verse number 25 again here in chapter 12. Verse 25, he said that there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. It's, it's essential. And it takes more than just unity. You can have unity, take two cats and tie them by the tail and throw them over a clothesline. And, you know, they're, they're unified, but there's no harmony. When we talk about harmony, it's all of us working together to where we're going in the same direction. And the success of this church and every church depends upon that. And it's so sad that a lot of times people have a hard time or maybe they never learn to learn to work together, to worship together, and to, and to just demonstrate their love one for another. And it's no wonder that sometimes folks get discouraged. And it can happen to any of us, by the way. Because there are sometimes, you know, we'll be going through something and Satan will try to convince us all, you know, nobody cares. And it's really not true because there are people that care. There are people like Brother Kenneth that break his neck whenever he's sick to get to you down to the hospital. Don't tell me he doesn't care. We got Sunday school teachers and deacons and, and ushers and different people in this church that care. They go, they give, they do, they care. Thank God for that. And that, that look, that ought to be an... That ought to be a trait with absolutely all of us within the body of Christ, developing an awareness, you know, of, of, of our, how we function in the body, and that harmony and peace. And by the way, the Lord tells us how we deal with it whenever, whenever it's threatened. Over in Matthew chapter number 5, the Lord is very clear about that in verse 23 and verse 24. We're, we're at odds one with another and there's bickering and fussing and fighting, jealousy and all that junk going on and uh, we're not supposed to just sweep it under the rug. We have to deal with it and it's not pleasant, but it has to be done. Church is more important than any one individual, and that includes me, includes Brother Preston. This church is what's important. The solution to all of it, how do we get there where we need to be? Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When we present ourselves, our bodies to God, here I am, Lord, I belong to you. You bought me lock, stock, and barrel with your blood. I belong to you. And Lord, I just want you to use me any way you possibly can. And whenever we do that, It'll take care of all of those threats and all of those problems. And it'll help us to function 
with one another for the glory of the Lord. The only real question is, so that being the, that being the solution to the situation, the question is, will you? You said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm already saved. I'm going to heaven. I know, I know. That's wonderful. Will you present your body, your being, your body as a sacrifice, as it were, to God and say, here it is, Lord, you do with it whatever, whatever you want. Over the years, I've often, whenever I get a different Bible, and I always copy down certain things that I, that I didn't want to forget. And I used to have most of them memorized, but one of the poems that I always quoted from one Bible to the other says this. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all of the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do, I do for you, must needs be done for others. And when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven's begun. May I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me live for others that I may live like Thee. Aren't you glad that Christ died for you? That He, though He was rich, the Bible says He became poor. You talk about poverty. Don't you dare listen to those prosperity preachers that try to convince you that Jesus was actually really rich in material things. My Bible tells he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Just born raised in a lowly carpenter shop. Though he was rich, he left the praise of the angels in heaven to come down to this sin-cursed earth. He left the company of his Father in heaven to come down here to be tormented and tortured and nailed to the cross. Why? For others. God became man. There was no other solution to our dilemma. And so God said, I'll just wrap myself in a robe of flesh and I'll become one of them. And then I will allow myself to pay their sin debt. And that's exactly what He did. He did that for us. And that being the case, we ought to live our life. People say, well, I, I want to live like Jesus. Oh, good. How are we going to do that? By living for others. That's it. We're going to, Lord willing, I'm talking about, the Bible tells us we're to love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another. The list goes on and on and on. And it ought to be the desire of our heart. And let me tell you something, and I'm through. None of us are going to be able to succeed at doing any of this without God's help. 
you can't just one day decide, I'm going to start loving that person. I, you know, I've never really liked it. I'm going to start loving them. You've already failed because you, you can't do it. I can't, look, I can't do it. I, I can't help you do it. You can't help me do it. It takes God. And we gain that ability to forgive and that ability to love and that ability to help. We gain that only as we present ourselves to the Lord saying, Here am I, Lord. Use me. Here am I. Use me. That I might be more like you. While we stand, Father, I pray today that each and every one of us might take serious the responsibility that we have as a child of God to reflect the likeness of our dear Savior. Lord, help us to not be satisfied with just telling people, well, I'm a Christian and I'm so glad I'm going to heaven when I die. And Lord, help us to live our lives in such a way that others can see something about Jesus in us. Lord, I pray today if there's someone here they don't know anything about the matter of salvation, but Lord, they know deep down in their heart that something is seriously missing in their life. They need something and they've never discovered what it is. God, help them today to realize it's you. You're missing. You're the only one that can fill up that hole that's in their heart and meet that need that's in their life. And I pray they'll trust Christ as their Lord and Savior here this morning and leave here with the joy bells ringing in their heart. And God help those of us that have been saved to make this a time that we actually, maybe publicly, whatever, present ourselves as a living sacrifice for you to use in this blood-bought church. But we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing today, Brother Morris and Brother Barry Fars up here, and they're willing, if God's laid something on your heart, if you're coming for salvation or baptism or church membership, would you come right now as we sing?